Hi, thanks for joining us on Him We Proclaim with our Bible teacher, Dr. John Fonville. We are continuing the series called The Glorious Second Coming of Jesus Christ. John has entitled the next several messages, The Peace of the Church. Is Jesus interested in there being peace in his church? Absolutely. And what disrupts that peace is tolerating sin, false teachers, and their false doctrine. It's upsetting to believers and disruptive to the gospel going forth. One could say it's an age-old problem. The teaching today will give us a good foundation about this important topic to believers. Here's John with the Peace of the Church, Part 7. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Thessalonians. And so the, the point that Paul is making in this letter is this. Jesus is going to return. I mean, that's, that's the hope of the gospel. Jesus is going to return. Um, and because he's going to return, um, it matters how we live. And so what he's dealing with here in this last chapter is the ethics of second coming of Jesus, how the second coming of Christ affects the way that we live now. Uh, so what he's been addressing is this disorderliness of believers in the church, and uh, they were refusing to obey the commandments of Scripture, to listen to the apostles, to listen to church leadership, and then lastly, to even listen to church members who were trying to help them. And so because of this disorderliness, they were disrupting the peace of the church, and uh, as we've seen, God takes seriously the peace of his church. And so Paul here in chapter 3, as he concludes this letter, is he gives three sets of commands to these Thessalonian believers to bring peace to the church. We're looking at this last command in verses 13 through 15. So let's, let's read verses 13 through 15 and hear what Paul says. Uh, he's now speaking to the, faith, the faithful members of the church, and he says, but as for you, that is for you, the ones who are faithful. So this is the church membership that is not disorderly. And this probably also includes the church leadership as well. He says, but as for you, brothers, do not grow weary of doing good. Verse 14, he says, but if anyone does not obey, so that's the problem here, they're not obeying. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Yeah, do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Verse 16, and he, said, he concludes, he says, Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. And then he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. And this is a distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So Paul comes to this third commandment in verses 13 through 15. And he commands the orderly believers in the church to discipline the disorderly. That's his commandment. Discipline the disorderly people. And so he outlines this proper response for the church to those who refuse to follow his commands because what he's done in verse 12 is, is he's told these disorderly people, he's basically said, quiet down, cease your unruly behavior, give up your new false teaching ministry in the church, stop sponging off believers, go back to your day jobs and, and live peaceably in the church. So he gave them this powerful command in verse 12, and the question is, what happens if these members refuse to follow what Paul's commanded? 
Because remember that when an apostle was giving a command, it was Christ giving the command. So what if these believers don't quiet down and what if they don't eat their own bread and what is the church to do? How is the church to respond? And that's what Paul gives here in verses 13 through 15. He, he outlines the proper response and he shows these starter measures that the church is to take when it's necessary. So look what he does. Look at verse 13. Before he actually gives these sterner measures, verse 13, look what he does first. He encourages those who are faithful to continue to never tire of doing good. Look at verse 13. He says, as for you, brothers, in other words, in contrast to those in verse 12 who are disorderly, insubordinate, disobedient, refusing to obey he says, in contrast to them, verse 13, do not grow weary in doing good. So Paul understood that the faithful members and that the faithful leadership of the church didn't need discipline. They needed encouragement. There was a, there was a minority of people in this church who were disorderly. And he says to the majority of the church and the leadership, Keep behaving honorably. Keep following the apostolic example. Keep believing and obeying the teaching that we give. Keep working quietly, minding your own affairs. Back in chapter 3, he says, you know, keep following and believing the tradition that we taught you. So the question is, why before Paul gives these severe, sterner measures of discipline, why does he encourage those who are being obedient to the commands of Christ? Why does he say, don't tire of doing what is right? The reason is, is because disorderly beliefs or disorderly behavior exerts a powerful negative influence on those who are being obedient. You see, the majority of the church and the leadership of the church was doing what was right. They were quietly working to supply their needs and minding their own affairs but if left unchecked, this enthusiastic arguments of these new teachers with their newfound teaching and with their idle behavior, they're no longer working to benefit the church. This would negatively affect the faithful majority, and this would discourage them, and it would discourage the leadership. There, there are times in church where there's just profound discouragement that is almost debilitating. And so Paul is encouraging them, don't quit. Don't give up. I know some of these people are really discouraging you because they've quit. They're idle. They're not working to benefit the church. They're spreading this false gospel now. They're hurting the church, disrupting the peace of the church. But don't give in to them. Don't quit. This is uh, how one uh, commentator says it. He says, we must not let the wayward behavior of other Christians discourage us from doing what we know to be right. Even when their failure makes life more difficult for us, we must continue to show forbearance and faithfulness. Delinquency on their part is no excuse for unfaithfulness on our part. And so Paul is saying, look, I know this is discouraging to you, you who are faithful, but don't quit. Keep persevering. 
Jesus is coming back. It'll be worth it. Keep persevering. So he encourages the faithful. But, but after encouraging the faithful to continue to do what is right, he turns his attention to those who are disorderly. He turns his attention to those who are recalcitrant. In other words, those who are just completely insubordinate, who have dug their heels in, and they absolutely refuse to obey what Paul is teaching. And so what we have to do is that to appreciate Paul's stern disciplinary measures, let, it's important to understand the nature of their sin. A couple of weeks ago, uh, some people came up and said, you know, that was, I was so uncomfortable when you were teaching on church discipline because I felt like you might be talking about me. <laughs> like, no, just relax. <laughs> we have to understand the context of what Paul is dealing with, the nature of these people's sin. So let's give you the context. First of all, these disorderly members of the church are characterized by ongoing disobedience. Paul has repeatedly called them disorderly. This is insubordination. They are absolutely refusing to live according to the apostolic tradition that Paul has mentioned three times in this letter. Chapter 2, verse 15 chapter 3, verse 6, and chapter 3, verse 11. They hear what is taught, and they absolutely refuse to obey that. It was quite serious. These, this was remarkable stubbornness on the part of these, these so-called professing member of believers of the church. This ongoing deliberate disobedience, Scripture says, is uncharacteristic of a believer. Because the, the necessary consequence of salvation is what? Fruit, obedience. Now, while those who are converted to God have only a small beginning of obedience in this life, right? Do you ever feel like your, your beginning is very small, right? Nevertheless, you have a heartfelt purpose to live not only according to some of God's commandments, but all that he commands. You love his commandments. It's Psalm 119. Oh, how I love the law of God, right? The whole entire psalm is dedicated to a justified believer loving to follow God's commandments. This is exactly what Paul confesses in Romans chapter 7, verses 22 through 25. Listen to what he says. He says, I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. This is what a believer does who is alive to Christ, alive by the Holy Spirit. He joyfully concurs with God's law in his inner man. He loves what he's being commanded to do. He says, but I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Who's ever felt that tug of war? Yeah. Yeah. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God. But on the other, with my flesh, I'm serving the law of sin. So this is what a true believer is. is they have a small beginning, but they have a true heartfelt desire to keep it, even though they know they're not pulling it off. But there's not this dig your heels in, recalcitrant, I'm just not going to obey. 
The second thing that we have to note about these disorderly and subordinate believers is that this is not the first time they've been addressed in their disobedience. These disorderly members in the context of, of chapter 3 at the end of this letter had, had, had been repeatedly warned prior to this. Let me give you some examples. In chapter 3, verse 10, Paul tells you that they were confronted both by Paul and Paul's co-workers, Timothy and Silas, when they first brought the gospel to Thessalonica. There was already this problem beginning to occur. Timothy, on his mission, had warned them. In 1 Thessalonians, in the first letter, in verses 11 through 12, Paul directly addressed them there. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, Paul considered it necessary to address them in the church about their negative attitude towards church leadership. They refused to listen and obey the church leadership. So there's a strong possibility that these members had already been confronted and addressed by the church leadership. They refused to obey the church leadership. And then once again in his second letter in chapter 3, right here, verses 6 through 15, Paul is again admonishing these disorderly believers, listen, listen to us. But they have continued to refuse to listen to Paul, to listen to Timothy and to Silas, to the Thessalonian leadership. And so now, because of this continued, ongoing, insubordinate, disobedient attitude, Paul says he has no choice but to enact stronger disciplinary measures to hopefully bring these believers to repentance. And so after so many warnings, after such a long period of time, you might expect Paul would have just lost patience with them. And at this point, after that many times, he would just say, well, you're just going to be excommunicated. But these severe measures, and these are very severe measures you're going to see that Paul calls for, fall just short of excommunication. Now, that might come if they refuse here, but for now, Paul still shows remarkable patience with these disorderly members, and he calls them in verse 15, brothers. He says they're not enemies, but they are erring brothers who need to repent in the church. And so here you have a group of disorderly members who are refusing to obey and follow the commandments of Scripture. And after prior exhortations, they to cease their insubordinate, uh, disruptive ways, they continually refuse to listen to Paul. And so that brings us to uh, Paul's um, uh, measures here in verses uh, 14 and 15. Look what the apostle, uh, look what the apostle Paul does. The, he gives several steps that the church, church leadership, everybody is to take. And so look at verse 14. Here's the first one. The first severe step, he says, take note of that person. Verse 14, he says, if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person. 
Uh, Albert Einstein once said this. He says, if I were given one hour to save the planet, he said, I would spend 59 minutes defining the problem and one minute resolving it. Einstein's statement fits exactly with what Paul is saying here. The first step Paul commands the faithful members and leadership to do, he says, is to identify those who refuse to obey the teaching of Scripture in the church. Identify them. Now, he doesn't say how this is to be done, and various solutions have been suggested. But it seems that Paul is probably just exhorting faithful members of the church, make a mental note of those who are leading disorderly lives in the church. And everybody would have known who they were. Everybody would have known who got the new teaching, who left their day jobs and were sponging off members in the, in the church. They could make mental notes. They would know who that was. And so in this context, the faithful members, Paul says, they are to, to carefully note those who are teaching that Christ has already come. They are to take careful note that some have left their day jobs and are being busybodies in the church. Now, keep in mind how severe this measure would have been. This letter was read in the public gathering of this church. That's quite severe. And those disorderly members were sitting there hearing, them being, hearing themselves being read about while everybody in the church is faithful going, oh, know who that is. <laughs> That's quite severe. Now remember, it didn't start here because it didn't have to be like this. There had been manifold, repeated opportunities where they had come in love to these people and said, cut it out. And they refused to listen. And so Paul says, okay, I have no other choice because of the peace of the church and the witness of the gospel. Take special note of them. False teaching and disorderly behavior in the church cannot be overlooked and swept under the carpet. Believe me, it's more comfortable to do that. But the first step to solving a problem is to identify the problem. For example, if there is a rattlesnake in the room, somebody needs to identify it pretty quickly. <laughs> right? Paul wants the faithful members of the church to make a clear mental note of those who are being disorderly. Now, look at verse 14. He spells out the reason for identifying the disorderly. Look what he says in verse 14. He says, if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person, and here it is, and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. So the second command that Paul gives is, is don't associate with them. The faithful members are to identify those who are disorderly so that they can avoid their negative influence and not be wrapped up with them. Paul is just simply repeating his previous instruction in verse 6. Look what he said back in verse 6 of chapter 3. He says, now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you received from us. 
So what does it mean not to associate? Well, again, various suggestions have been given, but there's a clue given to us in 1 Corinthians because in 1 Corinthians, the only other occurrence of this verb in the New Testament, associate with, the only other occurrence is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 11. And so this gives us hints to what Paul is talking about. So I want to give you the background so you understand what this means by do not associate with, because churches throughout the centuries have gravely abused this and, and hurt people. That's not what Paul's doing here. Let me give you some background to it. In both 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul is addressing similar disciplinary, grave disciplinary, unrepented of sin problems in the church. And he's dealing either with bad doctrine or bad behavior or both, in both contexts. And he's doing it with professing believers in the church. So the contexts are fairly similar. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 9 through 11. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he says, I wrote, you in my, I wrote to you in my letter, listen, not to associate with, exact same verb, with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. He says, but actually, he says, I wrote to you not, and here's the verb again, not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler. And listen, not even to eat with such a one. Now, there are the clues for us. The book of Acts, when you read the book of Acts, makes it clear that in the early church in the first century, they had what was called communal meals. They would come together and have communal meals. And these meals were characterized by the sharing of food and worship and celebrating the Lord's Supper. And so the importance of eating together in, these Jew in a Jewish culture and in Greco-Roman culture meals in the first century played a very important role in the life of organizations, including the church. So what you had in a Greco-Roman household or a Jewish household is that they would share meals which signified acceptance and fellowship. The love feast in the church was to be a living example of unity in the body of Christ where there was peace not disorder. This unity was so such a very serious matter that in the love feast, these communal meals, they're mentioned, listen, the denunciation of false teachers and the admonishments of the congregation. The significance of this event was such that unhindered, unhindered participation of false believers, false teachers in these love feasts signified their acceptance into the fellowship and their acceptance of these disorderly believers was a blemish or it was a taint on the reputation of the church in the community 
And so at the congregational meal, it might be what Paul is saying when he says, do not associate with them, is that he's commanding those who are disorderly when they come to the communal meals, they're supposed to eat by themselves. Because that would be an appropriate discipline for those who refuse to work, are sponging off other people, and spreading false teaching in the congregation. We're going to make it clear, they're not with us. But I think it's something else going on there, which would probably be this. As I said, these communal meals in the early church were very closely connected to the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians 5, when Paul says, do not even eat with such a one, he's talking about when they're gathered together for the Lord's Supper. And I believe that's what he's probably getting at here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. He's probably saying that those who are rebellious, insubordinate, refuse to obey, they're not to be allowed to participate in the Lord's Supper. Thanks, John. The message you just heard is called The Peace of the Church from the series called The Glorious Second Coming of Jesus Christ. More from the series coming up next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. I'm Josh Montez. Thanks for listening and join us next time.